It's 2023, and there are 634 First Nations in our country, and some 90% of them have severe on-reserve poverty. This is an outrageous situation. Well, I'm delighted to tell you that I have a very special leader on our program today, Mr. Dale Swampy, and he's got a vision to change that. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. So welcome, Dale Swampy. It's great to see you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. Now, uh, Dale, you are uh, a member of uh, Samson, the Samson Cree uh, First Nation in Alberta. And That's uh, you were uh, the CEO of the uh, First Nation for some 22 years. And then later in 2016, you founded the National Coalition of Chiefs, and you're the president. Uh, why did you found that uh, organization? Well, first of all, I wasn't the CEO for 22 years. I left um, uh, as a CEO to start my own consulting company to work for um, specifically pipelines and so forth. But um, we started the National Coalition of Chiefs as um, um, partly because of the cancellation of Northern Gateway. We kind of fell backwards into the coalition model. In 2006, when I left my band to start working on my own, you know, if you told me that a coalition of chiefs working together, you know, is is a good model to to, to utilize, I wouldn't have believed you because, um, first of all, our four, our four nations within our own community can't work together. Um, it's, it's difficult for chiefs to get together because they don't often have the same viewpoints or same ideologies and so forth. So it's difficult for them to join. But when we, when we had Northern Gateway, there was a common benefit that brought them all together. And I think that was one, something that was key to it. And something more um, impactful was the fact that each First Nation got an equal share of the, um, the equity that was being offered by Northern Gateway. And this allowed chiefs who represented smaller communities with less capacity, less influence and so forth, you know, to come to the table because they knew they had an equal voice. And I think that was, um, that was, you know, the real impetus for uh, the kind of success that they had. They, they started working together. They had more influence. They were able to get more benefits than just the 10% equity. So Dale, can you explain what the uh, Northern Gateway project really was for people that are not familiar with it? Well, it was a, a large pipeline that was going to go from Bruderheim, Alberta to um, Kitimat, uh, BC. It was going to build a terminal in Kitimat, one of the uh, um, widest and deepest channels, the Douglas Channel, uh, safest channel uh, today. It's it's where right now LNG Canada has their uh, terminal for uh, the, uh, the LNG terminal that they have that they're building now. So we we started uh, to work for them in 2010. They were working already for about six years, trying to get First Nations to come on side with them and 
sign agreements and so forth. When we started there in 2010, one of the first questions was, you know, what do what do First Nations really want? And we saw from our previous experience in uh, Alberta Clipper and Southern Lights that what they really wanted was long-term agreements rather than one, you know, one agreement, sign off with a check and then walk away. And it's difficult for the uh, for the pipeliner too because um, most of the activities in construction, once it's built, there's uh, it's kind of out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. There's hardly any work being done for uh, operations and uh, and integrity work and so forth. But uh, I think Northern Gateway was different because it wasn't just owned by the uh, pipeliner, which was Enbridge. It was owned by nine of the producers mm-hmm. in the oil sands five of the biggest producers, um, almost all the producers from the oil sands except CNRL. So I think the pipeline would have been built. Um, there would have been a lot of social acceptance on it because most of the First Nations were behind it. It's just that uh, the federal government made a political decision to cancel it, and they refused to meet with our group, which was the Aboriginal Equity Partners, which was the 31 uh, First Nations that got together and uh, Wow. continued to meet, refused to meet with him so that Trudeau could, could say that he never met anybody that that, that uh, liked the project or approved the project, which so, was so wrong. Just to, just to be clear on the headline, this was a monster energy project involving billions, and its impacts to First Nations would have been profoundly positive. That's that's the bottom line, is it not, Dale? Oh, definitely, yeah. There is no other uh, pipeline or or project in Canada or the world, for that matter, that's that hasn't given more than what Northern Gateway would have given the First Nations. Wow. And there was even a there was even talks of a hiring a CEO from the one of the First Nations in BC uh, within five years of operations to uh, to uh, manage the project. Wow. So so why did you feel so passionate? about this project deal? I mean, I know that it wasn't just you as a large team of, of uh, First Nation leaders, but why were you so passionate about it? Well, I think it, it really, we came to realize that the the coalition model, the way it was set up, uh, created a group of First Nation leaders who had a common goal, common interest, and worked, rolled up their sleeves and worked for their communities. And the political um, problems didn't exist in this type of coalition because all of the chiefs around the table respected each other and didn't want to bring forward anything that uh, you know would be politically wrong. Um, you know, like hiring your brother-in-law to become mm-hmm. a manager or, or yeah. something like that. It wouldn't look good in the other chiefs' my, eyes because you know they respected each other. And we found that uh, they worked a lot more consistently. All of the chiefs uh, participated in meetings because they knew they had they had an equal say. There wasn't one chief or one individual that uh, owned more of the project than them, so they felt comfortable, and uh, it created a lot of uh, camaraderie. And when Coastal Gas Link was going on to further approval after our project, uh, they hit the ground running because they're the, most of the chiefs that were on that pipeline were on Northern Gateway pipeline. So they were already, in a, in a sense, pipeliners. And they were able to, you know, hit the ground running, get the project off the ground and get it approved. Wow. So it's an exciting story in a way that that, that these First Nations work together 
as a team, you call use the word coalition. Like, does that mean like a, a region around a project working together as a team? Right, and that's what we promoted. National Coalition of Chiefs. We promote what we call regional coalitions. We believe we believe that regional coalitions should be established, not just to approve major project developments, but to enhance infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of the things we 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 support and. We support, for example, the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority, which is really a regional coalition of 17 First Nations who signed a transfer agreement with INAC to bring their monies to a, a company owned by the 17 First Nations to manage their water systems. Mm-hmm. And it's important to do that because one First Nation cannot manage a, a huge water system and keep the technical ex- expertise in place. And to get the technical expertise, you have to <clears throat> join with other re- with other uh, First Nations and, and and create this regional coalition so that you can build, you know, better communities for our for our people. You know what you're saying makes so much sense, Dale. Working together as a regional team around a common purpose really brings results together. So there are solutions here, aren't there? Um, and it strikes me that's the reason why you founded the National Coalition of Chiefs, is it not? Yeah, it was uh, myself and uh, late Chief Elmer Derrick who uh, convinced me not to go back into consulting and to start the National Coalition. And we started working together with um, a lot of the oil and gas and natural resource uh, proponents to to become, at the beginning, to become more of an ad, advocacy group for them, to be able to support the 14,000 self-identified, for example, indigenous workers in the oil and gas sector, to um, support major projects and to communicate to the proponents and to the First Nations that they should incorporate the regional coalition model in order to get, you know, better benefits, uh, you know, better ownership into the projects and so forth, and better support from the Canadian people and the Canadian government on these projects. So it's very interesting. Um, would you say one of your key goals for founding the, the Coalition of Chiefs is to get rid of on-reserve poverty? That's right. And, uh, you know, I, I always um, say to government, and to proponents, people that I know in the industry, as well as within the government, that uh, we have to listen to the administrators. We have to listen to the band managers. We have to listen to the social welfare workers. They are the people that have the pulse of the First Nation community. And a lot of chiefs as well, chiefs and counselors mm-hmm. that work with the community on, in a, on a long term basis and see the kind of uh, situation we have within our townships and within a lot of the communities we have 60 70 percent of of the people are on social welfare because they just don't have any employment opportunities they're usually remote in other words they can't walk to a local employment service office they feel like they're disenfranchised from society because nobody's out there to be able to help them mm-hmm. and it's and it's created a generational uh, normalcy of uh, social welfare, of a social welfare system that hurts and keeps on hurting our people. And when you're not doing anything, you you create a lot of problems, uh, a lot of social problems, alcohol and drug abuse, murder and missing women, domestic violence, you name it. This all comes from poverty. And if we can attack poverty, then we can get rid of all of the social ills that exist on our reserves. Wow. So it's a powerful overview, Dale. Um, because a lot of these challenges are really a symptom, 
I think what you're pointing to is the root issue is poverty. So how do right. you deal with poverty? We, we, we do business. Is that right, Dale, I, I, without oversimplifying it? Exactly. We, we've got to cooperate, uh, you know, with industry. We've got to cooperate with uh, society. We, we need to be able to, you know, reap the benefits of the, economic, of the economy of Canada. Mm-hmm. And for 150 years, uh, we've had the biggest and best natural resource industry in the world. You know, the safest, the most environmental friendly. Mm-hmm. And we need to be part of that. So we always encourage partnerships with, uh, between First Nations and industry. Yeah. And we support that. And we think that's, that that's the way to bring us out of poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, the Fort Mackay First Nation, for example, is one of the you know, richest communities in North America. They have 100% employment. All of their people work within the OSANs, but it didn't happen overnight. It took them 50 years of working with uh, the oil and gas industry, and the oil and gas industry embraced them and worked with them and made sure that they got extra consideration to be able to, you know, transfer from a social welfare society into a working environment, and it succeeded. So it's been done before. We just need we need corporations to be able to you know, come up and work with us and start what we call, what we're calling the National First Nation Social Welfare Employment Program. Mm-hmm. And we think it's a, it's, it's a remedy, remedy for success for, for what's happening within our communities. We just need the, the, the government, both the provincial and the federal and proponents from the natural resource industry to work together to develop these, uh, these programs. Now, when you say, Fort Mackay, can you tell us more about the the average income? Uh, like these are very successful communities. Can you tell us more about how successful they really are? Yeah, and uh, you know, we you go on a tour of uh, their community, and you'll see the kind of you you think you, you you've gotten into uh, you know the uh, a community within Calgary or Edmonton because they're they're fully employed. You know, there's there's nobody walking around the streets because everybody's at work, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. They have they built a, a great high school just the other the other day. They have one of the largest um, um, household medium incomes in uh, North America is something like 144,000 per mm-hmm. household. It, it was companies like Suncor who offered who guaranteed that if they if one of their community members graduates from grade 12, they'll guarantee them a job. So wow. that that had a that had a real impact that that showed that a young guy growing up in high school that hey you know somebody really cares about me somebody really wants me to work they're willing to offer me this job so it it created a lot of positive impact for for the community and every community member is uh, you know very involved in being able to get people within their community to work and that takes out a lot of the stress of your normal life and so forth. And you get a lot of students who go to grade 12 and they don't leave uh, the community because they, they, they can make more money staying on the reserve than they can moving off. No, I, I think that's a very exciting uh, success uh, story that needs to be told uh, from coast to coast. Um, and I think what's very interesting about that is maybe people don't realize, and I've, I've had the privilege of going to many different First Nations, a number of them very isolated, and I use the analogy that it's almost like going to a different country. There's not only different cultural practices, but there's a sense of isolation that you really can't underestimate then as people come and 
those persons uh, join us in larger cities where they it might be totally foreign to them. Is that not a fair comment, Dale? Oh, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> one of the reasons that we don't get the kind of support from Canadians who, in my mind, are the best, you know, the most kindest people in the world, uh, the best people in the world don't support and, and try to help our First Nation communities because they don't understand. They're not informed mm-hmm. about what, what, what has gone on in the last 150, 200 years uh, with our communities. I mean, we're, we were put on these reserves. We were a hunters and trappers and gatherers. You know, we shouldn't, shouldn't have been put on these little, little, little tiny islands within this country. Mm-hmm. And we suffered because of it. And because of that, uh, it's 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 been a generational thing that's gone on and on and on. And, and the people, I think, need to support the kind of programs that we're trying to put together uh, that mirror what what went on in Fort Mackay. Suncor and the Syncrudes and the Meg Energies they knew about the situation uh, Fort Mackay was was in because Fort Mackay was located right within the sand, you know, the old sands. Uh, mm-hmm area so they really needed to help that community saw the problems that they they had and so forth and uh, and roll up their sleeves and went out there and that's what we need from Canadians mm-hmm. we need them to be informed and the only way we're going to be able to inform get Canadians informed is to be able to get them educated and the only way we can get them educated is to get the curriculum the historical curriculum out there for the uh, young people growing up in this country it reminds me of a individual from um, New Zealand, who was working with our project and one of the Aboriginal equity partner meetings that we had in Northern Gateway, where all the chiefs gathered, he went up there and he said, Dale, I want to, can you allow me to do the, uh, uh, give me the honoring uh, opening prayer? And I said, sure, go ahead. And he spoke in his uh, native language, Maori. I shouldn't say native language. He was from New Zealand, but he wasn't a Maori. And I went up to him and I said, that's great, you know, that you learned your the tongue of your, your your you know native community within your country, and he said, "Dale, no, we learned that from grade from grade one all the way through grade twelve. Wow, it's a part of uh, you know what we what we do, and they embrace their tradition mm-hmm. and culture. They know the Maori people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what we we need to we need to do in Canada. We need to get people to to understand them, you know, and to appreciate them. The problem is it as a social welfare society you're you're dealing with community members who have, you know, fathers and grandfathers and, and so forth. And, and they all went, they were all on social welfare. So you tend to do what your parents do and so forth. So, you know, the transition will take some time and uh, you need to, you need to make a long-term plan. You need to be able to say to yourself, this is going to take time mm-hmm. and commit yourself to it. And we can bring our people out of mm-hmm out of uh, poverty what what people see and you know you talk you talk to me and you know i'm university graduates and so forth we come from a you know solid family structure but that's only about 30 or 40 percent of the first nation people that uh, actually exist on the reserve we need to focus on the people that that need us most the the people with uh, you know grade six education no skills virtually unemployable. There are 20 or 30, 40 year old people who've never had a full-time job in their life. We've got to transition them into the, uh, into the um, employed society. In order to do that, we've got to commit to them extra consideration. In order to get 
this extra consideration, we need Canadian people behind it because they're not going to approve the kind of expenditures that it's going to take to be able to get them off the reserve. Right on. So that's what we're working on right now. And Dale, you know, in conversation with you, uh, I, I, I guess one of the things that I really like about your vision, what you're saying, is you're not talking about being a victim here. You're talking about, in fact, you, you're not funded by the government, the, the National uh, Coalition of Chiefs. It's not funded by the government. Is that correct? That's correct. When we, when we first incorporated, or not incorporated, but when we first gathered together with the chiefs, um, we had a meeting about funding. We knew that we were going to do some advocacy work and we were going to get some sponsorships from oil and gas companies, from natural resource companies, mining companies, and so forth. But uh, we could access federal funding and provincial funding. So we met in Edmonton, and one of the chiefs says, Dale, we can't get federal funding. All you got to do is look around this city, this government city. There are 26 companies within the city that get federal funding that are uh, associated with social welfare and employment and training for First Nation people. They're in the city of Edmonton. They do us no good 300 kilometers away where our people are that need the employment and uh, training and so forth to, to, to you know, get out of the, um, you know, the unemployment that we, that we have in our community. Mm-hmm. They become bureaucracies. And if we get funding from the federal government, we're going to become a bureaucracy too. You know, and uh, we're not going to be able to speak against government policy. So we decided not to get federal funding, not to get provincial funding. And we've been writing letters to uh, the federal government. We've been attending hearings on uh, legislative uh, uh, bills to oppose, you know, things like UNDRIP, uh, the tanker ban, you know, C69, a new uh, Canadian energy regulator. We're continuing to work with UNDRIP on the action plan to make sure that it becomes a little more specified so that we don't scare away investment Mm -hmm. in the natural resource industry. So we're working hard to do that. And we couldn't do that, we don't think, if we had federal funding because we support the oil sands. The federal government doesn't. Mm -hmm. So we'd be cautious about that if we had federal funding. So we we needed to be independent, privately funded, so that we could speak against government policy. And we're continuing to do that right this day. So just to put things into perspective, Dale, you're looking at a, a very strategic vision of using um, business as an opportunity to get rid of on-reserve poverty. And uh, you have quite a vision. So when it comes to the policy initiatives of this current federal government, the so-called just transition, which is really all about shutting down the oil and gas industry, what does that mean? than for the viability of your vision? Oh, it's, it hurts it uh, extraordinarily because if, we, if, if we're going to develop programs that are going to bring our people out of poverty into employment, we need jobs to be able to give to them. And the transition, the just transition, is really geared towards taking away millions and millions of jobs. Hmm. And the natural resource sector cannot survive if uh, it's going to be hindered by something like the just transition. And if the natural resource industry gets hurt and gets reduced, or we see a, a big uh, downfall in terms of employment and projects, we're going to see a lot more downfall in our communities wow. because we live there full time. We just can't, our communities don't, uh, you know, get up and, you know, 
move to another country or move to another province, yeah. we stay on those reserves. Mm -hmm. So when they, the economy goes bad in our region, so do we go bad. So it's important for us to be able to support the natural resource industry to argue against unfair legislation like the trust transition and what it what it what it means to 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 the industry. So it's it's part of what we do, and I think it's it's one of the uh, main focuses we have, especially now. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, the just transition is a transition to nowhere for First Nations. That's right. I mean, it it doesn't. Uh, include any real strategy to offset what they propose they're taking away in terms of the oil and gas industry, for example. There's no alternative to that. Um, there's no alternative to the kind of um, mining that we're, we're trying to support, the kind of um, development, especially in infrastructure that we're, trying to, that we're trying to put together. I mean, everything depends on our ability to be able to, to um, defeat uh, on-reserve poverty. And we're not going to do that if the government is managing poverty. So, Dale, when you look at um, action with uh, Canadians or advice to um, uh, what every Canadian can do in terms of their voice, what would you recommend to our governments? What do they need to do in terms of enabling more business to happen on First Nations so that we can uh, get rid of on-reserve poverty? Yeah, I think we need to, you know, tell the federal government to, you know, urge industry to work on developing major projects within and on our reserves, you know, near and on our reserves. We need, you know, project developments to, uh, you know, include pro uh, uh, employment opportunities that can that can offer employment to our mm -hmm. people on social welfare, and that's the unemployable, and that's important mm -hmm. and. It's not going to cost the Canadian government or the taxpayers any money because we're paying through the nose right now for the kind of social welfare monies it takes to support people on social welfare right. and, you know, commit to long-term transition, transitional strategy. That means, you know, don't offer these programs over a year. Don't offer them one time. These programs go on forever until we get to a point where we're fully employed. And then you're going to see we'll be part of a Canadian society and we'll be part of supporting Canada. And that's what we need. That's what we need to do. Well, well said. Uh, Dale Swampy, the president of the National Coalition of Chiefs, thank you so much for sharing your vision and challenging us to think about what we can do to work together to get rid of not only on-reserve poverty, but to move our country forward in prosperity. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.